pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for another day you blessed us with. Thank you that we can be here together this morning to worship you and to sing together and to learn together. Bless those that are not with us as well. Grant them um, a time of worship too. Bless Mel as he brings the message that you would speak through him that our hearts can be drawn closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <coughs> Well, greetings in Jesus' name and welcome to each one this morning. It's good to be here. Beautiful fall morning. I think I think summer's over. How about you? Summer's probably over yeah. for this year. I think so. But it's it's still good to be here. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for a couple of weeks ago you had shared a generous offering with us pastors. Thank you again for that. God bless you for that. Um, your your uh, support in this way means a lot, and yet your prayer support means more. So thank you for that. Keep doing that. Thank you again for uh, your faithfulness in that. We truly have been blessed. Um, Dwight mentioned in our Sunday school class this morning the the. Uh, joy and fulfillment that that brings him as well as the rest of us I certainly do enjoy it too, our Sunday school discussion as we and he was emphasizing the value of this back and forth discussion, sharing ideas, that type of thing um, really is valuable and I guess that's the difference I see with preaching, I am here to preach truth, us pastors are here to preach truth, we're not really bouncing ideas off of you I think this is where truth needs to be settled and taught. Sunday school is a little more room for that where we can sort of share ideas, maybe various interpretations, that type of thing. Um, we as pastors don't really give you a lot of time for that, which I don't think is really what it's for. But it's always my prayer too that we can continue um, preaching truth. Um, and so, that's what I want to do this morning, by God's grace. The Harvest is Ready is the title of my sermon this morning. Now, that's sort of a paraphrase of Jesus' words, where he said, the harvest truly is plenteous, meaning there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot to harvest, I guess we would say. I think that's what he meant. Let's turn to Matthew 9 and read that, uh, that little uh, those are a couple of verses, only several verses I want to read, Matthew chapter 9, and it's found in some of the other gospel writers too, but I've chosen to focus on, on, on Matthew, and I'm going to back up a little bit, even those, that, that, those are in a couple of verses at the end of the chapter where Jesus emphasizes that, well just to get the setting, picture Jesus uh, leading up to this, the harvest truly is plenteous, now uh, Jesus, and I think what we see here is a typical day in Jesus' life. He saw a lot of needs and met a lot of needs. Um, healings, uh, casting out demons, even raising the dead a few times. That was, uh, it seemed like just a daily thing for Jesus. There were just a lot of needs in several places it says, and he healed them all. That's not right here in this scripture, but 
it goes through and gives a list of things that happen in a given day, and he says, and he healed them all. I don't remember reading of any case where Jesus refused someone that requested healing. And so that's a bit the setting here. Let's start reading in Matthew chapter 9, all the way back to verse 27. And this is just a few of the people that were blessed by his healing. Reading verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Yea, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. I'm not sure really what Jesus expected, and I'm not sure what his motive was for keeping his top-notch secret. Verse 32, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. <clears throat> but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of harvest, that you will send forth labors into his harvest. So we get a bit of a, a picture of Jesus, what I think was a typical day, just a busy day. You notice there it says, And as they went out, meaning the two blind men, here comes another need, a person possessed with a devil, and this devil had certain powers over him, rendered him speechless, couldn't speak. And uh, imagine the frustration of not being able to talk. I never, I don't know if I ever even had that even as a temporary sickness. Well, maybe a day or two, but not being able to verbalize anything, say anything, can't quite relate. Here was this person who couldn't speak. And so uh, Jesus, of course, healed him as well. So here we have, there was just a steady flow of, of people um, who heard he was in town and they would have brought their sick to him. In this case, Jesus went into their house. But Jesus saw the, the, the hurts and needs of these lost and lonely people, so he asked his disciples to pray so the Lord of Harvest would send workers into his harvest. You know, I like, of course, Jesus did this in many ways, used a very practical illustration to explain or illustrate the truth of the kingdom of heaven. Planting a crop takes careful planning, good timing, of course, well-prepared soil, fertilizer, weed control, along with other things, if you expect a worthwhile harvest. 
And there's, there's a promise in First or Second Chronicles 7.14 that I'd like to claim. This is a bit out of context, not entirely uh, having to do with uh, the uh, harvest, but thinking of God's faithfulness. You know, God is faithful if... Let's read that, Second Chronicles 7.14. starts with the word if. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Thinking a bit on God's faithfulness. God is faithful if I prepare, starting with myself, thinking of being part of this harvest. If I prepare myself, if I plant the seed, and if I'm willing to nurture this seed as farmers do with fertilizer, maybe willing to pull weeds. Farmers also need to do some weed control to expect a harvest. God is faithful. Notice also in these verses, Jesus calls this the Lord of the harvest. This is not my harvest. It's not John's or Lauren's or Lester's. It's God's harvest that we are all to be a part of. We are but workers in this harvest. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul addressed this, I guess I'd call it a bit of a problem, in the church here at Corinth, where they were laying claim to the harvest or assigning, maybe not laying claim, but assigning... uh, a prosperous harvest or a good harvest to a particular person. Now, the church of Corinth was a bit immature in this way. They were worshiping heroes. They were assigning certain successes to a particular individual. Let's read verse 1 in in 1 Corinthians 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as, as unto carnal, even unto babes in Christ, or a bit of uh, a level of immaturity that he wanted to address. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have, Apo- I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labors." Paul is making a very clear, um, uh, not making a distinction, but he is explaining the importance of both. The person that plants and he that waters, or he that nurtures along the way. They are all part of this harvest, and only God can give the increase. Another thing with planting, a needful thing, is faith. Faith. Exercise your faith. You know, planting takes faith. 
And I see a lot of farmers in the spring with great faith. There are years, years when the, the crop yields bountifully and years when there is very little. This year could be a good example. I understand the wheat crop was pretty poor, too much rain. But it looks like there's more corn than they know what to do with. And yet, all of those farmers planted that wheat and the corn with faith, hoping for a harvest, hoping for an increase. And I'd like to look at a person that was a great inspiration to me as I think of faith. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to see the account of Philip, who was one of the deacons in the early church, and the faith that he would have had, that he did have, in going to meet this eunuch who was in a chariot, driving down the road. Acts 8, start reading in verse 26. An angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? of himself or some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same time, the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip saith, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, we know that Philip was one of the deacons that was called in the early church to serve a need there. Acts chapter 6, we have that. I'm going to read just a couple of verses there. Uh, Philip is listed along with the others. And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. You know, they had a race, a race issue back then, too. There was the two races that were coming together in the same church, and they had certainly some, some things to work through. This is just one of them. The Greeks, the, the Greek widows were being neglected. The, the, uh, the, the Jews, or the Hebrews, of course, seemed to be getting priority. Verse 2, Then twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. 
And that's what they did. But uh, you'll notice there in those couple of verses, the requirement was they were, they were to be of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Doesn't seem like a lot, does it? Just three little requirements. I don't really mean little as in uh, uh, not of much value. But think about, think about that. Honest report. And that would have had to be among their peers, full of the Holy Ghost, which means in Scripture being controlled by or under the influence of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, a person that was wise. Ephesians 5.18 says we are to be filled with the Spirit. Again, that would mean being directed by, being controlled by, being sensitive to the Spirit's leading, which we can see Philip certainly was, there will also need to be evidence of the fruit of the Spirit if a person is controlled by the Spirit. I think that's, that's a given. So we see that planting does take faith. Um, I'm not sure what Philip's uh, we don't have, we don't, it's not recorded what his reaction was. Did he just go willingly? He must have, because if he was, I don't know, racing with a chariot, he would have had to somehow run. It says he ran to, to meet him, and uh, I, I don't know, I never tried a, much of a race with a horse, but I don't think I would win. Somehow, Philip caught up with his chariot and overheard what he was reading, and offered his help. You know, what a, what a um, beautiful picture of being sensitive to the Spirit and following the direction of the Spirit. <clears throat> and we see, too, that there was evidence in Philip's life of the fruit of the Spirit, as we see here. So planting takes faith in the natural setting and even in this harvest for souls. But what about a breakdown? Suppose you have an equipment failure. You're in the busy harvest season and you have machinery breakdown. You have your baling hay in a beautiful sunny day and it's going to rain tonight and your baler breaks. You're harvesting corn and, the, and, and, and something breaks. That night you get three inches of rain. Then what? The harvest stops. There's a breakdown. The harvest stops. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4, and I'd like to look at a scene here where we have a potential breakdown. Not a breakdown, but the, a potential breakdown, as I'd like to call it. The church was growing by leaps and bounds, and not without some struggles, but we see here, and I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 4 at the end of this chapter and on into chapter 5, where I call that potential breakdown, which didn't happen, but Satan was trying to cause one. Let's read Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And Joseph, who by apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession 
and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came upon all of them that heard these things. And I'm not going to read the rest, but the story goes on to where his wife came a little while later and also pretended the same lie, and she also died instantly. Can you see the potential for a breakdown here? Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, was able to avoid a major breakdown. You know, Satan had tried to stop the witness of the church by attacking from the outside. And you'll see that in Acts chapter, well, beginning at chapter 4, where they were called in by the council because they were preaching the resurrection from the dead. You know, that was their, that was the apostles' key subject, if you will. That was their strength. That was their power. But it was the very thing that the, ruler, the rulers did not want to get out because they had bribed the guards at the tomb to cover this up and lie about it. And here they come. The apostles just kept over and over again preaching the resurrection. That was their power. So here we have, in chapter 4, beginning of chapter 4, where they spent the night in jail because of this. It didn't work to attack from the outside, so Satan tries a different strategy. He attacked from the inside by using someone who was already part of the fellowship. And I don't know that we know anything about Ananias and Sapphira except right here. We don't have much of a background. Their involvement in the church, their influence, I don't think there are any. There is any. And so we just, we have to take what we have right here, but it does look like they were part of the fellowship. And Satan used this as an inside attack. He may not always come as a roaring lion, but he could come as a deceiving serpent or an angel of light, like he did here. But we see that Peter, being who he was, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, and again, I'm assuming that's, well, yeah, it, it tells us that. I, I don't know if Peter had any idea of what was behind the scenes except what the Spirit revealed to him. And very straightforward and boldly confronted them about this. And they were left speechless, died instantly. And if we look at the, the church here, the early church, you can see that a spiritual church is made up of spiritual believers, of course. I think we can, we can all understand that. 
But I'd like to turn to the end of chapter 2 there in Acts and look at a few points that we see in a spirit-filled church and its spirit-filled believers. There at the end of the chapter, um, I think um, we have, we have, uh, we see some growth. And verse 40, it says that, uh, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And I don't know what all that meant, but there was some very, uh, might we say, deliberate and intentional teaching that took place to all these, these new believers that were brought into the church. But the last couple of verses in this chapter... The Spirit-filled church is unified, magnified, and multiplied. Unified. In verse, verse 46, it says, And they were all, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, um, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There is a unity there. You know, this deal with Ananias and Sapphira doesn't seem like that threatened their unity. It doesn't, we don't see anything of that in, in chapter 5, where the church is divided. We don't, we don't have that. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, give us that indication. In fact, I think quite the opposite happened. The church was strengthened and grew like because of that. We also see that they were magnified, and in 47, they were, it says that um, they were having favor with all the people. There was, again, not a division. There was a, a, a togetherness, and they were having favor with all the people. And of course, we see, too, that they were multiplied. Um, there was, there at the end of, chapter, of, of verse 47, says that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, could be saved. You know, when you think back to Ananias and Sapphira, there was, again, we don't have a lot of details, but I think we're given enough to see that there was maybe pride, uh, obviously some hypocrisy, and I'm afraid that too many times that is the cause of a breakdown. Those two. Pride and hypocrisy. We don't, there's a little bit of a, there's the, when you, when you go back to the end of chapter 4 and look at, the, look at Barnabas and uh, the land that he sold, and I'm not exactly sure what his motivation for that. I don't know if it was a huge chunk of land, was it a small ch chunk, was it a major investment, we don't know. But apparently, it, it, it was recognized and acknowledged. And Ananias and Sapphira thought they might get in on this too. They wanted some of that recognition as well. And in the process, pretended. This is what we got. In fact, that's what she said. Peter asked him, is this what you got for that land? They said, yes. And... Peter, being given the inside story through the Holy Spirit, 
address that. And, of course, there was some untruth. There was a lie. Probably because of pride and hypocrisy. And we can see that in, in our Sunday school class, that several times the disciples were wanting a bit of favoritism from Jesus in your kingdom. I want to sit on your right hand and my brother can be on the left. How about that, Lord? You know, really, Jesus said, you know, that has no place in my kingdom. And if there's nothing, if you can't become like a little child, as in uh, humility and trust, you can't be part of the kingdom of heaven. And I think that we can, we can certainly, uh, of course, we always have this discussion in Sunday school class. Why didn't, they, why, why didn't the, the apostles see this? Jesus wasn't talking about an earthly kingdom. Why didn't they get it? Um, it's easy for us to say that looking back. But they really did, um, even the whole history of Israel, going way back to their deliverance from Egypt and then establishing a nation, God promised them very specifically physical wealth and blessing if they obey. Very specifically, there was a promise of uh, an abundance of crops, their cattle would all have young, there would be no miscarriages, on and on and on, there wouldn't be the, 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 the mildew and the pestilence and the weeds wouldn't overtake them. God promised that to them very specifically many times. And that was what they had kind of been taught their whole history, up until then, up until Jesus came. So then all of a sudden, we expect them to shift their thinking, and it's not, okay, my, you know, there might still be miscarriages, there might be, still be crop failure, there might still be weeds taking over, but it's referring to a heavenly kingdom and the, the guaranteed success or prosperity spiritually. And And I guess that's, that's where we are today. We're still in that, in, that, um, in that era. Yeah, crops do fail. There are disappointments. There are sicknesses. There are, there's even death. And that's part of being in this fallen kingdom. Fallen world, not fallen kingdom, but a fallen world. That's part of life here. It gives us a, uh, a more of a desire for what lies ahead. But I believe, like Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous. There are needs. You know, speaking of our day, there is a hunger for truth. Have you ever noticed or seen that to be more intense than today? Truth is scarce, whether it comes from our government politics, even scriptural truth. Many times it's watered down. We might get a partial truth or a half truth, but truth, there's a real hunger for truth. And I think that most of us understand that the answer is not in government, more government, bigger government, better government, but in God's word. The truth in God's word. You know, God's word is truth, and it will stand. And today, as well as then, Jesus 
tells us to pray. Pray. Let's, let me turn back to that. Pray ye there for the Lord of harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. You know, I was so blessed this last, yeah, just last week. There was a, a, a prayer request that went out in our little church app for prayer. And the next day, there was a direct answer. You know, I was, my strength was, my faith was so strengthened in that, and I confess that, you know, at times it is weak, but I was so blessed with that uh, response the next day. It was just a, a real answer to, well, yeah, it was an answer to prayer, but it was a real uh, strength to my faith that really God does honor and hear, hear and honor the prayers of his saints. So I'd like to, again, emphasize that Pray that he will send forth labors in his harvest. And certainly I don't think the harvest is getting less plentiful than it was in Jesus' day. We truly do have a plenteous harvest and opportunities. And I, I just want to leave you with a question. Will you be part of this harvest? Let's kneel as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your blessings on us. Thank you, Lord, that you have <clears throat> been faithful to us in this way. You have blessed us in so many ways. You have brought us to this point in time. And we are honored to be part of the harvest of our day. We acknowledge, Lord, that there truly is a plentiful harvest. There are many needs Needs beyond what we can meet, but through you we can meet these needs. And we want to pray your blessing, grace on us as we attempt to do this. We just pray that you would continue to work in the hearts and lives of each of us. Give each of us grace to be faithful in whatever area of work that you have called us to, whatever our responsibilities are in this harvest, that we would be faithful, willing to uh, continue in this. Father, at times it seems like the needs are just way over our heads, way beyond us, and they are. And that's where we, we rely on you. And so we pray your continued blessing from here. Thank you, Lord, that you have, that, that you have given us your word. We realize again, acknowledge the real need for truth truth in all areas of life. But thank you especially that we have your word as a sure foundation. Your word is truth and your word will continue until the end. And we just pray your continued blessing on each of us now as we go from here. May we again make a renewed commitment to faithfulness to the harvest that you have called us to and your part in each of our individual lives. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.